This week, when a group of friends decide to spice up their night by committing robbery, everything goes terribly wrong, leaving them all in deep trouble. Welcome to this week's Jailhouse Journal. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Tori Ostrander, and welcome to Jailhouse Journals. In this podcast, we are going to take you through the real and true stories of inmates all over the country. And how do I choose which inmates I'm going to tell you about? From writerprisoner.com. That's right. I find their profiles on writerprisoner.com and share not only their latest information, but the crimes they committed. Please note, Jailhouse Journals does not endorse or promote corresponding with the prisoners on writerprisoner.com. Writerprisoner.com is simply used as a tool to find the stories to tell you about every week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and if you do, please go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give us a great review. We are here to give you a good story, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's Jailhouse Journal. Just a few updates and shout-outs before we get to this week's story. Please follow us on Instagram at Jailhouse Journals. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give us five stars and a review. Next episode, we are going to have a guest co-host. She is a criminology teacher and she's super excited to be on the show. If you are interested in being a guest co-host, please contact me through our Instagram, Jailhouse Journals, or email me, jailhousejournals at gmail.com. This week, we will be talking about William Harold Dothard. Let's start with some basic information about William. He was born on November 12, 1989, making him 30 years old. He has brown eyes and black hair and is from Detroit, Michigan. He is Muslim and is seeking prayer partners. He is interested in furthering his education, and his sexual orientation is straight. He is single and has been incarcerated since 2009. He is currently serving a life sentence and is not on death row. His earliest release date is listed as never, and he is incarcerated at the Elger Correctional Facility in Michigan. Elger Correctional Facility is located at the very top of the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. As a Michigan native, Elger Correctional Facility will be cold and is surrounded by probably nothing but trees. William is incarcerated for felony murder, home invasion, armed robbery, and felony firearms. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you have been waiting for, William Harold Dothard's biography on writeaprisoner.com. Hey, how are you doing? My name is Will. I'm 5'10 and 165 pounds. I enjoy reading, exercising, writing poetry, playing chess, 
and good conversation. I'm looking for someone I can build a relationship with, rather it be a friendship or something more. I tend to really just go with the flow of things. The one thing I ask is that when you see the crime I was convicted of and the time I'm currently serving is that you don't prejudge me, but actually take the time to get to know who I really am. And I guarantee you that you will discover that I am a great man just in a bad temporary situation. And with that information, let's dive right into our story for today. Let's start by talking about a few people that will be very critical to our story. We have William Dothard, Elisha Fullwood, Teresa Lyles, Drashawn Grant, and Dion Wade. Starting with some previous criminal history, let's talk about Dion Wade. Right from the start, Dion is going to be very influential in our story. So allow us to talk about Dion and his past decisions and prior criminal convictions. Dion, on his center right forearm, has a tattoo with the letters M-O-B. This stands for Money Over Bitches. So although his tattoo is not prior criminal behavior, what is prior criminal behavior is what happened here on February 3rd, 2009 in Hamtramck, Michigan. Hamtramck is a suburb of Detroit for those who are not from Michigan. And it is the homicide of Rafikel Islam. As Rafikel Islam climbed out of his car after parking in front of his house on Prescott Street, he was shot to death by Dion Wade. Dion was quoted saying that he targeted Arabs specifically because they carried thousands of dollars on them, unlike blacks. However, as the investigation of Rafikel Islam continued, there was no evidence of a robbery taking place at the time of the homicide. On February 17, 2009, a hostage robbery took place. The hostage robbery involving Dion Wade and two other men. Dion and two other men attempted to rob Hussein Farat and his wife at their home in Dearborn. As the men broke into Farat's house, his wife managed to escape and called the police. When the police arrived, the two other men fled the scene and were quickly taken into custody. However, Dion remained inside Farrat's house, keeping him at gunpoint. The hostage standoff lasted many hours. Eight hours into the standoff, around 5 a.m., Wade fell asleep in a chair with a shotgun in his lap. Farrat took the opportunity and smashed a vase over his head, knocking him to the ground. As Dion was knocked to the ground, this gave Farah an opportunity to escape. He grabbed Dion's handgun and proceeded to march Dion outside to where the police were waiting. However, at one point, Dion managed to escape Farah's control. He grabbed a shotgun and proceeded to fire it multiple times towards police. As Dion was subdued by police, Farah was able to flee out the door to safety. According to Farrat's testimony, Dion was on the phone during most of the standoff and twice admitted to involvement in the homicide of Rafikel Islam. 
Dion is quoted twice referring to himself as a killer and saying that if his demands were not met, he was going to do it again. He also said that he could not turn himself in, as if he did, they would link the gun back to Hamtramck. As Ferret testified, Dion let out an audible hell no and had to actually be silenced by the court. And upon ballistic examination, the markings on the slugs were found to be consistent with the bullets from the 357 Magnum used to kill Rafikel Islam. During the trial of Dion, his mental competency was raised. The prosecution noted that Dion has a GED and was able to articulate awareness and understanding of the forms that he signed when speaking with Officer Brooks and other police. However, the defense pointed out that Dion had been found incompetent by the state on two separate occasions. At that point, Judge Paul Perrick made the decision that there was sufficient evidence to move forward with the trial. Dion is also believed to be linked to two other shootings of Detroit teenagers. Both times, the victims were shot and killed and had their cell phones stolen. Dion used the stolen cell phone to call the parents of the shot teenagers. In one conversation with a victim's mother, Dion sort of apologized for the shooting, saying it wasn't worth taking the teen's life for the $3 found on the teen's body. In the other conversation, Dion told the victim's mother she needed to come to the crime scene and collect her dead son's body. Dion is described as maybe having some weird sinister mojo about him and that he may turn out to be one of the more intriguing criminal suspects in modern Detroit history. With Dion's criminal history in mind, let's start putting these people together. On January 8, 2009, Teresa, Alicia, Dion, Drashawn, and William were all at a house together. Later on in the night, someone raised the idea of committing a robbery. At the time, Teresa and Drashawn were dating. Earlier that night, Drashawn saw Jamal Harper's phone number in Teresa's purse. Drashawn recommended that Jamal be the target. Teresa, however, disagreed. Drashawn then threatened to break up with her if she did not plan and coordinate the robbery. Teresa then called Jamal Harper. She coordinated the plans for Jamal to come pick up she and Alicia. It was not long after the plans were made that Jamal came to pick Alicia and Teresa up and take them back to his house. They remained there for about an hour. However, after an hour went by, the night would take a gruesome turn. When William and Dion showed up, they approached the house with their guns drawn. They entered the house and announced a robbery. Upon entering the house, Dion and Will told Jamal to hand over any money or possessions he may have. However, when Jamal informed them he did not have any money or possessions, they quickly became angry. Later in the night, Will and Dion ended up leading Jamal at gunpoint down into the basement. While down in the basement, Elisha and Teresa testify that Jamal, Dion, and Will argued for a long time. Dion ended up coming upstairs and asked Teresa 
if he should shoot Jamal. Due to not wanting the crime to be linked back to her, Teresa told Dion to go ahead and shoot Jamal. When Dion returned to the basement, Jamal was promptly shot and left to die. Alicia and Teresa then used garbage bags to collect any clothes, money, or jewelry to take it back to the original house they were at to divide up amongst the many people. From testimony from Alicia and Teresa and evidence collected from the crime scene, it was determined that William Dothard fired the deadly bullet to Jamal Harper. Teresa Lyles pled guilty to second-degree murder. She agreed to testify truthfully for the prosecution, and she was sentenced to a minimum of 12 years and a maximum of 20 years in prison. Elisha Fullwood also pled guilty to second-degree murder. She also agreed to testify truthfully for the prosecution and received a minimum sentence of 11 years and a maximum sentence of 20 years. Drashawn and Will were tried together, but in front of separate juries. Drashawn was convicted of first-degree home invasion and sentenced to 6 to 20 years of prison. He served about 7 years and was released on December 30, 2017. Dion Wade was charged with first-degree premeditated murder. Due to his prior convictions, Dion was offered a global plea agreement. His global plea deal included every criminal charge he was being convicted of. He therefore pled guilty to second-degree murder and felony firearm. Between the charges from the three murders he committed, Dion was sentenced to serve a minimum of 45 years and maximum of 100 years in prison. His minimum release date is March 29, 2055, and his maximum release date is October 16, 2109. Dion claimed that he fired the deadly bullet to Jamal Harper. However, Due to evidence and testimony given by Elisha and Teresa, it was believed Dion was taking the fault for the crime when he did not commit it. Because Dion was being offered a global plea deal, it did not matter if he took the blame for a crime he did not commit. His sentence was not going to be raised if he committed the crime or not. Evidence from the crime scene, however, proves that William Dothard fired the bullet into Jamal Harper. William Dothard was convicted of first-degree felony murder, armed robbery, first-degree home invasion, and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. The defense called Dion as a witness for Will. In his testimony, he stated that he shot Jamal and that Will did not partake in the shooting in any way and that the testimonies from other witnesses were not correct. However, Due to testimonies from Teresa and Alicia, both placing the gun in Will's hand, the jury found Will guilty of first-degree murder. He was therefore sentenced to life in prison with an additional 11 to 20 years served concurrently. Concurrently means that it will be served at the same time as the charges from the other crime. He was also given two years to be served consecutively or after the current time being served for felony firearm charges. Will eventually appealed his charges 
in his first argument was that there was insufficient evidence of malice to support his felony murder conviction. In one of her statements, Teresa admits to have been under the influence of drugs and alcohol to the point of having her mind, quote-unquote, messed up. Her testimony was also different from a couple other witnesses. However, Teresa also testified that she knew exactly what was happening on the night of the offense. The evidence showed that despite Teresa's admitted drug and alcohol use, she was able to successfully contact Jamal and arrange to meet with him. The court therefore determined that her testimony would stand. Will also argued that the trial court erred by failing to appoint new counsel or by failing to at least inquire into the status of his relationship with his attorney. To translate that into English, Will was essentially not happy with his attorney. However, the appeals court did not agree and again affirmed the trial's court opinion. Will argued that the prosecutor improperly vouched for the credibility of witnesses Teresa and Alicia by saying that their plea deal required them to provide truthful testimony and that defense counsel was ineffective for failing to object to the prosecutor's misconduct. One of the most popular arguments in an appeals court is ineffective assistance of counsel. This means that the person who is charged believes that their attorney and counsel members did not do a good enough job defending them in court. Because Elisha and Teresa both took plea deals, they both told the prosecution that they would testify on the prosecution's behalf. Therefore, the prosecutor argued that their testimony had to indeed be true. The appeals court, again, disagrees with Will's argument and agrees with the prosecution and affirms the trial court's opinion. The last argument made by Will Dothard is that Dion's prior criminal history should not be discussed in court. Dion's prior criminal charges were very important to the case due to Dion taking the blame for Jamal's death. His prior criminal charges were proof to the jury that he would have no problem and nothing to lose from stating that he killed Jamal. This made the jury realize that Dion was most likely lying that he shot Jamal because of having a global plea deal, including all of his crimes. Therefore, the appeals court tells Will to screw off because they were affirming the trial court's opinion. With the trial court's opinion being affirmed, William Dothard now sits in the Elder Correctional Facility in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, freezing his booty off and hopefully enjoying the great wide nothingness of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So that, my friends, is our story for today about William Harold Dothard. And I would like to think that our lesson learned today is that if a friend suggests committing a robbery while at a party, don't commit the robbery. And now, journalers, it's your turn. Hop on to writerprisoner.com and take a look around. If you see someone interesting, please feel free to message me on Instagram at jailhousejournals or email me jailhousejournals at gmail.com. Comment on this week's Instagram post and let us know what you thought about the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, 
You can definitely tell us by leaving us a great review or giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please follow us on Instagram. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye.